Progressive Rugby League. Hey everyone, John O'Duncan back on deck. So, is this the end for the Toronto Wolfpack? Well, it sure seems that way after the Super League top brass and seven clubs voted not to readmit Toronto for the 2021 competition. We at Progressive Rugby League have followed the Wolfpack's fortunes pretty closely from our Sydney base over the past few years, and whenever I was able to speak to a Toronto fan for the show, the depth of passion for the team never ceased to amaze me. I suppose it's something to do with that concept, the zeal of the convert. These were largely brand new fans who only years before had lived in a world where rugby league, for all intents and purposes, didn't exist. But they took to the sport with an infectious energy and positivity that we rugby league lifers sometimes find hard to muster. So that was one of the many reasons we were sold on it. And as time went on, we marvelled at seeing the thing grow. But there were clearly issues with how the club was set up and COVID became the straw that broke the wolf pack's back for 2020. The whole episode reminds us, of course, that wanting something to work doesn't mean it will, and that there has to be some fairly deep pockets and smart operators to make something like this successful in the long term. Super League and the seven or eight clubs seemingly didn't think it could work and they voted accordingly, but a huge decision like this is always going to raise questions. Was it the right call made for the right reasons? What were the factors that led to the vote panning out the way it did, and were they justified? Did the league's decision-making process prove to be fit for the purpose? Well, let's get the perspective from the Wolfpack camp. Toronto Wolfpack chairman and CEO Bob Hunter has kindly agreed to take some time to join us to give us his thoughts on what's just transpired, as well as his reflections on what's been an incredible 15 months at the front line of Rugby League's northern frontier. Bob Hunter, welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Thanks, John. Good to be on your show. Yeah, a lot's happened in the last 10 days, so it's been a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, thanks very much for joining us, Bob. I obviously want to get your thoughts on the Super League decision, as I know that's why people are tuning in. But before we go there, I'd love to know what your path to discovery of the game of rugby league was. Did you know much about the sport before the Toronto Wolfpack emerged, or were you more like most Canadians I know, totally unaware of its existence? I must admit that I was in that latter group. I had played Union in Mm -hmm. high school, so I had some appreciation for the game and played it a bit after university in a a local club but the the league game was really new to me when I started with uh, David Argyle back we first started talking in June of 19 and so Mm -hmm. you know understand the principles of the game very quickly but just the speed and the athleticism was the thing that was so impressive yeah and Bob you joined the Wolfpack I think in August officially 2019 after a distinguished career most recently at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. And you joined the Wolfpack amidst a fair bit of tumult, uh, stories about late payments to staff and players, non-payments of invoices to suppliers. Ignoring COVID for a moment, did you understand the scale of the challenge facing the operation of the Wolfpack when you walked in on your first day? I didn't think it was going to be as financially or fiscally challenging as it was. It was pretty obvious to me You know, within a couple of weeks and certainly within the first month that, you know, resources were very tight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, David being the financier of almost everything, plus the losses on an ongoing basis, put a lot of stress on the organization, a lot of stress on the people, a lot of stress on the players. And so, yes, it was it was a bit of an eye opener for the first few months. And then you start to understand, okay. 
here's the long-term vision. And so you had to, uh, as they say, John, drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> drink the Kool-Aid. Now, let's stick to pre-COVID times for a moment. In your opinion, from your vast experience in sports and business, was the Wolfpack experiment working? Obviously, there was on-field success, but as a whole, was it working? There's sort of a short-term and, and long-term approach. And I think short-term-wise, no, it was not. I mean, the expense to play in the UK and at that time in championship and prior to that, League One, you know, those costs constantly went up. They didn't go down. And David's passion to field a very strong squad meant that we were spending at the cap in both leagues. So that formula is fine for winning, but it's not for running a business. And again, David's philosophy at the time was that I understand that we're not going to make money, Bob, but I'm going to support it through the success of our other business lines. And I certainly could see that vision. So, you know, profitable divisions supporting non-profitable divisions. And it was, to, I hate to say it was David's hobby, but it certainly was his passion. Mm. But it was not going to work financially long-term unless you understood and or were quite willing to underwrite quite significant losses. Mm. Well, I suppose that's kind of how it works in Australia. There are profitable divisions, leagues, clubs that, that support non-profitable divisions, rugby league clubs. And that's how it kind of works in Australia too. So I kind of see the, the sense there. But anyway, Bob, can you give our Australian listeners in particular an idea of who the Toronto Wolfpack community is and how that manifested into a game day experience at Lamport Stadium? Uh, certainly. I would suggest that our ardent fans, subscription holders or you know season seat holders, whatever you want to call them, that group of about 2,000, maybe 2,500 were expats from a number of different rugby league countries, obviously the UK probably being the strongest. But again, we had a lot of Australians, a lot of New Zealanders, and they were sort of our ardent fans. What grew dramatically, even in my time there, was the young fans that we were attracting to the game, and a game, a a brand new game Mm. to them, that just had this magnetism for the sport that connected with them right away. Mm-hmm. And so the other, I'll call it five seven or five thousand, were new fans that just thought, "Wow, this is this is a very impressive game." So you know, we were very optimistic that 2020 had happened, that we were going to be able to even grow that stronger. Yeah, especially I suppose with the Sunny Bill factor and and hitting Super League for the first time in Toronto, that sounded like you were counting on a bit of a return from from that process. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, Sunny Bill. Unfortunately, it's not a household brand name here, Mm. but understanding what he meant to rugby league worldwide was a key part of our messaging for the 2020 season Mm. and obviously part of our marketing and promotions and sponsorship plans. So, Okay, so COVID hits and it starts looking pretty grim for the Wolfpack and we know what happened. David Argyle pulls the pin and the Wolfpack pull out of the 2020 season. Bob, what actually happened there? Did the money literally run out or, or did David make a decision, you know what, I can't do this anymore, it's too much? So I guess what I'm asking is, was it a purely financial decision from David or was it more layered than that? No, I, I, John, I think it was quite simply that. It was probably a combination of those two things. Number one is I, I can't raise the money now mm. 
And secondly, I've, you know, I've sold off as many of my assets as I can. Yeah. And number two, I think everyone around him personally, family and uh, close friends said, David, you know what? Why are you doing this? Mm. You know, it just, why are you completely destroying, you know, your financial base to try and stay in the league? And it was a combination of those two things. Yeah. So obviously on a related note, players and staff are owed uh, millions of dollars collectively. I'm assuming you're included in all that. How is everyone holding up? The the uncertainty must be exhausting because a lot of players and staff wouldn't be on much money at all. And I guess that would have added another layer to the importance of Super League's decision the other day, enabling more timely payment of players and staff dues. Yeah, it was uh, particularly disappointing and frustrating because the new owner had committed that he would pay the outstanding wages Mm. for players. There was some debate about staff, but for players. And, you know, that was a fairly significant number, probably close to a million dollars Canadian in outstanding wages. Mm -hmm. And then he would have paid what would have been probably November's wages as well. So, yeah, that, um, and it now falls back on David. Mm. And David understands that, that he's got to somehow, through a multitude of different options, mm-hmm. find that money. So he intends to pay the players uh, what they're owed? Yes. He's committed to paying them what they're owed. And it might not be in one shot, but it certainly will be over time. Okay. Okay, let's get to the decision of Super League not to readmit the Wolfpack to next year's competition. I'm sure most don't need a setup, but I'll provide it particularly for the Australian audience who might have a more casual interest in the Northern Hemisphere game. So long story short, after abandoning the 2020 season, Super League basically say, prove to us you are worth your spot back in the competition in 2021. So once again, long story short, the Wolfpack decide on a preferred investor, Carlo Livolsi, to take future ownership of the club. And together, you prepare a proposal to convince the other Super League stakeholders, who are mostly the other Super League clubs, that the Wolfpack can make this work. Now, Bob, I'm curious to understand if you were clear on what the goalposts were that you were trying to work towards, because I'm not sure I'm 100% clear on that. Did you simply have to convince the Super League executive, the RFL and the clubs of the Wolfpack's financial viability? Or did you also have to prove the extent of the value that Toronto would bring to the Super League? Because they're two very different criteria. Uh, I would say it was a combination of both, probably more heavily weighted with the first. And that was, okay, you've put us in this very compromising position this year, you know, somewhat COVID related, but David related as well. And prove to us that you have the wherewithal and the staying power, sustainability to be a club in Super League long term. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, part of our first submission. They came back and had a multitude of different questions, clarifications that we were able to resolve in our second submission. They also commissioned a report on their own mm. about the viability of rugby league in Canada. And you know, the disappointing part was that there was no one from North America on that committee. Mm. And so, you know, we were, we never did officially see the report. I've subsequently seen it, but we never had a chance to even respond to the conclusions in that report. So it somewhat looked like the deck was stacked a bit. Mm. And that part was very frustrating. I think, again, Carlo Volsi 
clearly had the financial backing to take this on long term. Mm. And I just think that, you know, they just maybe had decided before even his presentation where they were going. You know, we thought we and we still have some great partner friends, co-owners in rugby league. But the uh, as I say, it was a challenging meeting and maybe we didn't answer. Carlo didn't answer questions to the liking of the group because obviously mm. he, people voted against us. So, you know, just to, to flesh that out a bit, what do you think the purpose of that report was? I asked the question about the criteria because obviously if you're working towards, you're trying to convince them of your financial worth. And if you weren't 100% aware of the weight of the other criteria that your value to Super League, then that's a, a big problem. So, yeah, I'm just curious to know what you think the purpose of that report was. Well, I think they were asking the questions of themselves. What value does Toronto bring to Super League? And it's a very legitimate question. I mean, to your earlier comment about what does Super League mean in the marketplace, to us, to the ardent sports fan, it's just rugby. And I love rugby, and I'm going to watch rugby, whether it's union or league. Mm. But, you know, they wanted to know, okay, what's it do for the brand? What's it do for Super League? What's it do for that? And the, the reality is... We hadn't been in Super League one year. so <laughs> Six weeks, you, I think. How, how can you define what value we can bring after six games? And so none of which were in North America. So, mm. you know, that part was disappointing. I mean, the reality is, what did they have to lose? Like, if they had an owner that had the resources to cover any potential losses, we'd offered up that we would play in the UK next season If it was going to be easier for Super League, we'd play all of our games in the UK. Again, we had, uh, I think, a very solid plan going forward in our financials, in our sponsorships, you know, in all key revenue aspects of the game. And at the end of the day, I just thought, well, I get your questions, but either you believe the owner has the resources or you don't, because it's going to take years to build the Super League brand in Toronto. I mean... Honestly, why wouldn't you? Yeah, well, there were reports from the meeting that Carlo Lavolsi said that he would reveal his net worth only if they were readmitted to Super League. Is that true? I mean, I have no experience in these kind of things, but that whole aspect of it seemed a little strange to me. And if that was a sticking point for some clubs, you know, maybe that could have been addressed in a different way. What actually happened there? Well, and, and John, obviously you follow it, so you're probably aware that... Even before we got down to the final sort of stages, Carlo had been very clear. He'd been clear for two months that my personal wealth and my private or my finances are very, very private to me. Mm. And so, therefore, if you're telling me that I'm in conditional now only on those financial numbers, then you'll have them right away. Mm -hmm. The problem is, and you saw it, is that even in the last 10 days, there were significant leaks of information, significant, mm. that only could have come from owners. And, you know, we think maybe even one or two in particular conveniently placed to, I would say, discredit our proposal. Carlo got even his back up a bit stronger because he said, there's no way I'm giving these guys this information because it'll be in the press mm. in the next little while. So the commitment was... Uh, as I said, you know, conditional on approval. I'll provide you the information. I'll provide it to the uh, RFL and the Super League lawyers. 
in a non-disclosure agreement. Mm-hmm. And again, that's, hey, it's a private guy and doesn't want the world to know. And mm-hmm. it appears that most things that go to Super League aren't kept confidential. Yeah, well, I mean, I Googled it actually. And uh, I didn't get a full picture, but I got a sense at least that he probably had enough wealth to, to get this going. And he was probably had the same amount of net worth uh, as many of other Super League owners. Now, there were also reports that Carlo Lavolsi made uh, his pitch from his car. Is that true? <laughs> John, unfortunately, I believe it is. Yes. Okay. And, and again, he's going through some tough times with a personal family matter that, sure. that puts, I think, pressure on him, you know, being the father of three children. And so, yeah, was it, that was disappointing, probably shouldn't have happened, but that was the case. Yeah, I mean... Look, I don't say that to I don't say that lightly. I mean, it doesn't actually it shouldn't give a, a false impression of what the the bid was or how strong the bid was. But I suppose it, it could have led to a, a negative perception of the the strength of the bid. Oh, I, I think it had a very negative influence on the bid. Yeah. Now, just back to the the report that potentially influential report into the final decision about the the value of Toronto Wolfpack. Now, it's a, clearly a sore point for fans who saw it as skewed, inaccurate, and ultimately unfair. What aspects, what specific aspects of the report upset you? You know what, and, and look, I want to position this appropriately. We put ourselves into this predicament. Mm-hmm. So the league did what the league had to do. The RFL was very supportive. Super League was supportive. And they did give us the opportunity to reapply. That, that said, though, in that report... As I mentioned to you, I just found it frustrating that the level of detail I thought was 10,000 feet. And it, it was obvious from that report that they had not read our final submission. Mm-hmm. Because in our final submission, we talk about community engagement. We talk about youth play. We talk about youth development, you know, supporting the rugby league initiatives of Rugby League Canada and, you know, some of the hotspots for rugby league in the country. Well, you know what? Grassroots is where it all starts. And so I don't think we got any recognition about our attempt to build the sport through grassroots and and our marketing plan with some of our sponsors. So hmm. none of that was mentioned. And that part was frustrating. So, And I seem to put a a wear full sign on the Toronto sports market saying that it's already saturated and there was no room for more and, you know, ignoring the fact that the Toronto Wolfpack wouldn't need a, a huge slice of that market to make a successful play for Super League. And, and look, at I came from that market, so I, I totally get it. Mm. But there's a lot of difference between a $300 ticket to a Leafs game mm. and a $30 ticket to a Toronto Wolfpack game. Mm. Like, we're... We're going after totally different demographics. We're going after totally different sponsors. We're not, you know, big into television viewing. And, you know, again, those were all where we wanted to take it. Hmm. So, you know, the fact that we weren't there again in our first year in Super League and only after three years, this is the fourth operating season, to be able to say that we have no influence in a uh, clustered market. 
Well, I would say, in fact, if you look at all of our media attention over the time, the amount of time our players were on sports talk shows, you know, on television, front page of the sports sections, we were making a lot of noise. And we got no credit for that. So... And on that note, what has been the reaction in Toronto? Obviously, fans are justifiably upset, but has the news gained further traction, further afield in the city? I would say that social media is probably the only measuring tool. And again, it's been one certainly of, of disappointment. You know, and again, it's the passionate fans that has, you know, been the most vocal. We've had probably equal the amount of pushback in the UK where we had developed a fairly decent fan base and mm. a lot of people from Toronto live but yeah it's been equally split and you know it unfortunately John as you know that it's now somewhat yesterday's news mm. and uh, there's so much going on with COVID sports in general is still quite a mess to put up mildly mm. uh, you know the big sports here are really in a challenging time yeah and so yeah. yeah, and again, most people just think, well, you know, COVID killed these guys. Well, yeah, to a certain degree, probably, but we thought we had a viable solution going forward. Yeah. And Bob, what do you make of the decision-making process where you're being judged by the other clubs? Yeah, it's a um, it's challenging, you know, and, and I can't say that it's proper governance, but I can't say it's not proper governance. I mean, that's their rules and their bylaws and their whatever. Hmm. But... When you've got 11 other clubs, some of whom, without a doubt, as we would have, are threatened by us coming into the the league Mm. because somebody's got to go down. And, you know, it's just a matter of we built a strong squad. Somewhat disappeared now, but we built a strong squad. We were going to be competitive. We had a bad start to the season, without a doubt. But I think that we were headed in the right direction. Mm. And so even... The thought that we were a well-financed team in a big major market, I think, may have intimidated some of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that part was disappointing because I thought if the, if the real vision of the future of Super League was North America, fifth largest market in North America, mm-hmm. can house a Super League team, what can't be good for Super League? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I read that implementing an independent panel well a panel at arm's length of super league to choose your replacement for next year i mean could you be part of that process could you sort of put your your toe back in that way well we could (laughs) we could have the number of people actually have asked us that question john the thing for us though is is really you know who's got an appetite Mm -hmm. and you know we've been working on this for three months Mm -hmm. and what would be different in a new submission than is sitting in our old submission. Well, mm. not not much. And so... But the judges I would be different, that, I suppose. Uh, good point. Good point. But I think, again, if the final decision is based upon a vote of the other 11 teams as to who, who to readmit or who to admit, mm. that wouldn't they say, this is like Groundhog Day again, <laughs> like with these guys. So... Mm. Now, how would you describe the relationship between Robert Elston and the Wolfpack throughout your time at the helm? It seemed quite bitter near the end. Is that accurate? And has it always felt at least a little fraught? Personally, I've had a great professional relationship with Robert. He's a seasoned executive. He 
was very helpful to us when we first came into the league. I think any tainted impression he may have of the Wolfpack, we might deserve because, you know, we left him in a lurch when we pulled out. Mm. You know, David was pretty vocal and sometimes maybe not in the best interest of Super League in some of his comments. And so if Robert went sour off it, you can't blame him for the whole thing because, again, we kind of created our own monster. Mm -hmm. And so, look, it, it is what it is. My only concern would be that as the commissioner, you would think that he somewhat is like Switzerland, that he, he should be neutral. And having a vote, I'm not sure is, is appropriate for the commissioner to have a vote mm. and for the CEO to have a vote. So, you know, again, I have a lot of respect for Robert. I Hopefully the feeling is mutual. I hold no hard feelings or grudge for what happened. It's disappointing, but this is professional sports. Mm. So I hate to say it, but suck it up. <laughs> now, Bob, is there something you look back on where you think you wish you could change? And I'm, I suppose I'm talking about something that you're in control of. Is there anything that in your 15 months that you go, oh, I wish I could have done something a little differently? Well, I think, I don't think I would have done anything differently as it relates to the teams. You know, we were trying to, uh, we were making good inroads into becoming a more professional sports organization mm. and be it within our own marketplace, but also within Super League. Mm -hmm. And I wanted, one of my goals clearly in 2020 was to show Super League that we clearly brought value mm -hmm. to the league and that we were going to be a growing concern both on the pitch and as an operating business entity. And the disappointment was... COVID killed all that. Mm. We never had a chance to do it. And also, I mean, from the get-go, we were underfinanced, and that just puts a lot of pressure on, on everybody and, and just creates a lot of frustration. And so, again, it would have been great to have the resources to, to build that organization because I really do believe, and I believe to this day, that, that Super League could, or Rugby League in general, can be successful in Toronto. And it was Carlo Lavolsi's commitment, his financial commitment, would that would that have outstripped David's previous financial backing? Uh, again, from certainly my understanding of um, where Carlo wanted to go with the team and, and his commitment long term. So, yep. yeah, I think, again, you know, you cannot knock David because he put 13 to $15 million Canadian mm. into the club. So, mm. That is not chump change, and you've got to give him credit for continuing to invest when, when others would have got awfully shaky. So, yeah, but Carlo was a business guy. It wasn't a passion for being a sports owner. It was not the sexiness of owning a sports team. Mm. Carlo was simply about, I think this is good for my business. Okay. So. Okay, Bob, we're running out of time, and once again, I really thank you for taking the time. I'd like you to, if you can, reflect on your 15 months at the helm of the Wolfpack. What has this experience taught you about the human condition? What has it taught you about people that you previously didn't know? Because it has been a period of extremes, you know, big crowds, promotion, sunny bills, Super League, and then COVID, abandoned season, and ultimately expulsion. That's some roller coaster. <laughs> it was really fun, John, on the <laughs> upside. Really fun. <laughs> 
but no, you know what? I think I went into it. Look, I've I've been fortunate to have a career in professional sports thirty years. I went into this totally with my eyes open that this was not. NHL, this was not NBA, this was not Major League Soccer. Mm. I had a clear understanding that, you know, it was professional rugby at its highest level in the UK, league-wise. And so, but I went from having 150 employees to having 12. So it Mm. it was, the enjoyable part was really the hands-on. And it really made me learn and understand the business very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. I quite enjoyed my time in the UK getting to know the other owners and a lot of them reached out to sort of help me become a good CEO in the league. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the downside again was the frustration of the economics and the frustration of the financial resources. And, but would I do it again? Probably because I really enjoyed the sport. It was, you know, not money out of my pocket. If I was investing, I might have a different story, but it was, you know, a bunch of great people, worked with a bunch of great staff, met a bunch of great people in the UK. So I honestly, at the end of the day, have no regrets. Cool. Well, interesting that you say that you do it again. Might hold you that, Bob. Now, are there cultural differences you have found in the way sports are run in Canada versus the UK, specifically rugby league? Anything where you've thought, hmm, that's strange. Why would you do it that way? Or alternatively, anything where you've thought, that's a good idea. I think we were able to uh, steal a few good ideas from them about some of the more established clubs and how they handled things, you know, from a marketing and a ticket sales standpoint and, you know, sort of premium seating, if you want to call it that. But no, you know, it's, I think I was pleasantly surprised how similar it is to professional sports in North America. Mm. I mean, it's pretty simple. You've got a product, you got to sell tickets, you got to drive revenue, you got to control your expenses. I mean, it's just a very similar business. Yeah. And, and Bob, what happens now to the thousands of Wolfpack fans in Toronto? And what happens to rugby league in Canada now? Does it effectively just disappear, get swallowed up by rugby union? I know there are a, there is a dedicated bunch of believers who will keep plugging away, but is there any chance for reasonable growth without the Wolfpack? I don't know, John, to be quite honest with you. You know, again, our, our grassroots programs never really got off the ground. I mean, you know, we tried to work with Rugby Canada, Rugby League Canada, and, you know, they have great, great vision about what they want to do and where they want to take the sport, but they're under-resourced. And so has the league got a chance of growing, not dramatically, it will grow slowly based upon the passion of some of the leaders in that group. I don't think that you'll see a rugby league team in Toronto again playing in a UK league. Okay, well, you might be you might be answering this question, but finally, Bob, assuming the decision sticks for next season, and it seems like it has, is this the end for the Wolfpack? Will you leave the porch light on in case attitudes change or circumstances change, or will it be wound up once player and staff wages are settled? Again, I think the porch light will always be on. Because, you know, there were three other, I would say, somewhat serious contenders who kicked the tires on buying a team. Mm. But those have gone away. And the announcement 10 days ago has not raised anybody coming back and saying, well, gee, you know, maybe I would reconsider Mm. under different terms or whatever. So, you know, 
never say never, but right now it would look like it's probably nearing the end. Mm. Okay, Bob, uh, we are officially out of time. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your week to chat to us. So I think I speak for every rugby league fan in Australia and the vast majority in the UK when I say I'm really sorry it hasn't panned out. And I also want to acknowledge the incredible hard work you yourself have put in over the last several months uh, to keep hopes of the players, staff and supporters alive. I know all Toronto Wolfpack fans see that and won't forget that in a hurry. So, Bob Hunter, thanks for joining the Progressive Rugby League podcast and all the best in the future. My pleasure, John. All the best. Progressive Rugby League. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you got a little something out of that. It's clearly an issue that is generating a lot of emotion. Sport generates emotion. Sport is community. Anyway, that's us for another day. Thanks again for tuning in. Until we next cross paths, Rugby League. Hobby. And see ya. <laughs>